Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Snow! 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 <laughs> that was the reaction of my kids this past Wednesday when we woke up to a fresh 10 centimeters of white powder in the backyard. They were excited. And don't you just love seeing the reactions of kids? I, I wish I took a video of it. It's like, snow! There's something so exciting and innocent and exhilarating in their sense of awe and wonder. I, on the other hand, was like, oh, no, are you kidding me right now? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for snow in its proper season, but not in the middle of April, and especially not during a pandemic, and especially not after a string of double-digit nice days that we got to bask in the sun. But I couldn't deny that there was an excitement among my kids, that there was this, this sense of joy that I just wanted to bottle up. I wanted to capture it. I wanted to just be able to hang on to it forever and kind of like it, it open it up whenever I needed that extra boost of joy. Whenever I see my kids' reactions to something like that, snow, snow, I just, I wish I could get inside them and see what they see and feel what they feel because there's something just magical about it. It's a sense of pure joy. And you know what I mean, right? We've all experienced this before. These moments that make you stop and say, this is what it's all about. Everything seems to be at peace in the world, even if it's not. Just, ah, this is what it's all about. But you see, I believe what happens is over time, we continue to grow older and we start getting hit by life. We start getting bumped and bruised and we start experiencing some of the pains that life brings. When we're young, we grow up believing that the world promises us everything. But then we begin realizing that nothing ever seems to turn out to what we expected, what we thought was promised. You see, we start learning that just because we work hard doesn't guarantee the good life. And we realize that, wait a second, we're not promised a pain-free life if only we work harder or do things more right. And it's at this point where cynicism creeps in. And we start collecting fellow cynics because, let's face it, misery loves company. And if you don't believe me on that one, simply go on Facebook after one of Doug Ford's announcements and you'll quickly see this play out in real time. And it's easy to get caught up in this. It's easy to get caught up in the trap of cynicism because cynicism is easy. And it's easy because it's lazy. Because cynicism doesn't go far enough into the pain. It stops well short of becoming or creating anything meaningful. Cynicism just stands on the sidelines and kind of points out the obvious like, oh, that's not right. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, told you you were gonna get hurt. Ooh, did that wrong. See, told you that it's gonna suck, that it's gonna be painful. 
And see, while this cynic's critiques, complaints, and observations might very well be correct, the cynical person loses out on the gift of joy. Because they're kind of just caught up in this, this little sideline groupie, and they're kind of just like, no, no, not good enough. But they don't go far enough into it to actually produce anything meaningful. And when I say joy, that they, they miss out on the, this gift of joy, I'm not just talking about a temporary feeling. I'm not just talking about an emotion like happy or sad. Joy is something that can contain all of the emotions. Joy has room for anger, for sadness, for depression, for anxiety, for grief, for languishing. Joy can handle the full human experience. But to get to this kind of joy, you have to go beyond cynicism. You have to move beyond the cynic. You have to push into the pain. You have to accept the bumps and the bruises that you've picked up along the way, and you have to embrace it. You have to feel it, and you have to push through it to get to the other side. So how do we do this? How, how do we find this kind of joy? How can we experience joy? Well, let me invite you to explore some ancient Jewish wisdom poetry as we seek to learn the art of reclaiming joy, because joy is yours for the taking. You see, what we're going through, or let me put it this way, we're not the first to go through whatever it is we're going through. There's a ton that we can learn from the ancient world. So tonight, I wanna introduce you to a book called Ecclesiastes. And I want to have fun with this one. It's one of the 39 books contained in the Old Testament of our Bibles. And I love how it begins. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Like nowadays, we're told to start strong, to start with why, get people to buy into what you're saying. But here we have meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> I, I love it. In other words, the author or teacher is mentioned in this verse, and actually the word Ecclesiastes translates into teacher in the Greek. What he's saying right off the bat is, let me destroy the notion that how good you are and how good your life will be or how long you'll live are correlated. Because they're not. They are not connected. He's saying, let me purge you from the idea or the illusion that you can live life on your own terms. The original Hebrew word that we get meaningless from is hevel, H-E-V-E-L, which can also be translated as breath or wind, vapor, mist. And I first heard this from another pastor who preached a message called Vapor Management. Love the title. And he most recently used it in a show called An Introduction to Joy. And this is what I'm using as a springboard for tonight's message because I've wanted to share this for a while now. And I thought, what better time than in the midst of a pandemic? <laughs> but think about that. 
Havel missed. The author is saying, this is your life missed. It's all vapor missed. It's here and then it's gone. But then as the book goes on, he adds the sudden twist. So go enjoy your life. You see, because life is so fragile. It's so mist-like. It's here and then it's gone. So the first step in reclaiming joy is that you should probably go enjoy your life. Right here and right now. You might be thinking, what? In a pandemic? Yes. Because life is much more difficult than anybody has told you. And there are simply no guarantees. The teacher in verse 17 goes on and says, then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The author is saying, you really want to know more? I believe this helps explain why we can lose our joy as we get older. It's because we are learning more. We're growing and we're experiencing more and more of what the world offers and what it doesn't offer. So the teacher in chapter 7 says, In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. He's saying, I've seen really good people die young. And I've seen terrible people live a long life. And this isn't new. It's not new to our generation or our parents or grandparents. But he continues on in chapter 9 and says, Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Enjoy life, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. Eat, drink, and enjoy life because it's here and then it's gone. The teacher back in chapter five says, this is what I've observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. You're just here for a moment. So you should probably enjoy it and find something meaningful to invest in. This past Thursday, I was out for a drive with my kids and I had a Mumford and Sons song playing. And there's a line that says, where you invest your heart, you invest your life. And as they sang that, I looked up in my rear view kids and saw both my kids, one of them sitting there picking their nose and I won't say which one. And I just thought, yes, they have my heart. 
Like my heart is with them and I am going to commit to being the best dad I can be for them. And I'm going to show them how to love Jesus with all of my heart so that they too can learn to follow him and experience joy and life to the fullest. Because we're only here for a period of time. How often do we catch ourselves saying, yeah, someday I'll get to that. The author is saying here, don't wait until someday because someday may never come. That, that thing within you, that idea, that spark, that, that drive, that passion that you have, that book that's yet to be written, that cafe that you've dreamed of opening, that church that's yet to be planted, whatever it is, don't wait. There might not be a tomorrow, so you better start it now and enjoy it. Because did you catch what it said about the gift of God in verse 19? It says, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. Are you enjoying what you've been given? Because the teacher goes on and writes, I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Imagine that. Imagine being surrounded by goodness, but unable to access it or enjoy it. Or let me put it another way. Imagine living in a place of more luxury, abundance, wealth, technological advancements than any other civilization that has ever existed before. But more people are stressed, depressed, worried, and anxious, and unable to enjoy any of the abundances. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so the teacher goes on. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. So what's he getting at here? He's driving home the point that joy doesn't just come from getting someplace, from achieving something, by reaching a certain status. No, joy doesn't come from arriving at a destination. It's not waiting for us somewhere over there that we just need to work harder to get to. Joy is found in the journey. Joy is all around us. Joy is to be lived and experienced here and now. Joy is accessible regardless of your cir current circumstances. One thing that used to drive me nuts in our backyard is the, the dirt patches that wore out the grass under the kid's swing. And I'm like, oh man, I worked so hard to have a nice green lawn. And, but then I thought one day, what am I talking about? I'm just so thankful that I have kids who are playing in the backyard and swinging on the swings. And now those dirt patches actually bring me so much joy. Joy is all around us. It's not in the destination. 
Reclaiming joy can be done right here and right now, exactly where you are. But joy is like a muscle. You need to work it out. Joy is something that you can get better at, that you can work at and develop and strengthen. And as you work it out, you'll begin spotting more moments of joy. But if you don't, I'm afraid you'll stop at cynicism. You see, there's a childlike joy that comes from naivety, from innocence, perhaps even ignorance or indifference. But this joy is an immature joy, meaning it doesn't acknowledge the pain of life. It may not be aware of it, or it might want to pretend that, no, it doesn't exist. I can't acknowledge it. But you see, when crises hit, when pain comes, as we all know it does, it's simply a matter of when, when your soul is desperate for answers, rather than feeling the pain and simply stopping at cynicism, the teacher is showing us through the poetry of Ecclesiastes that, that we need to lean into it, that we need to, to push in to the darkness because there's light on the other side. In other words, this book is giving us permission to confess that I know how dark things can get. I know how hard life can be, but I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. It's giving us permission to confess, I know how hard it can get not to gather as the church. I know how hard it can be to not have friends over in my backyard, to see my grandparents or to have them see the grandkids. I know how hard it is to lose a loved one and not even be able to go to their celebration of life and their funeral. But I will enjoy the life I do have right here and right now because it's all missed. It's not easy. I will admit that this is easier said than done because it requires us to lean into the darkness, to build the muscle to see joy. And for many of us, we don't wanna lean into the darkness. It hurts too much. The pain is too real. But you see, as we develop that muscle, we'll start seeing joy everywhere, even in the midst of the pain. And as we reclaim joy, it will begin to reframe everything. Have you ever seen a family go through just horrific loss and tragedy, yet there's this joy that people can't quite understand? So because they've done the hard work of building that muscle to see joy. Not to avoid or deny the darkness and the hardship of life, but to accept it and embrace it and say, but I will choose joy for the gift that I've been given today. So if you're stuck, if all you're feeling right now is skepticism and cynicism, let me encourage you to keep going. Lean into it, don't stop, push, through it because we're all going to die. <laughs> that took a dark turn quick, right? Man, the teacher says in chapter two, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, 
Just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Why do we seek to enjoy life here today despite whatever else is happening around us? Because we're all going to die. Recently, I've been watching a documentary series on Netflix called Formula One, Drive to Survive. And I don't know what made me turn it on. I don't really watch racing too often. But uh, I will say, if you're currently watching this, spoiler alert, because I'm about to talk about an episode from season three. So maybe just put me on mute for 30 seconds. But the episode that I was watching the other day is called Man on Fire. And this particular race happened just a year ago, in 2020, and one of the Formula One drivers, Romain Grosjean, had a horrific crash. His car punctured through the safety barrier at over 140 miles per hour. So for Canadians, that's 225 kilometers per hour. He went through the safety barrier, split the race car in two, and burst into flames like it was tragic and everyone assumed the worst the red flags came out all the other cars had to pull into the pit and for two minutes and 43 seconds his friends had to watch his car engulf in flames his wife did not know the fate of her husband and they were all assuming the worst that he was dead but then miraculously Groshane suddenly appears amid the flames climbing out of his car and over the safety barrier into the arms of the medics who had arrived on the scene and luckily he somehow managed to survive the wreck with only burns to the back of his hands. It's an incredible story but later when he was interviewed for this Netflix documentary he announced his retirement from Formula One, not surprisingly, but he said this while sitting next to his wife. When you go through that and you have a second birthday, a second chance in life, a chance of life, you take it. He then said, life will be much more beautiful. That just blew me away. That suddenly, when you face death, when you recognize how fragile it is, you appreciate the second chance you've been given. And this is what the, the author of Ecclesiastes is getting at. He's saying that you have a second birthday to wake up to. That you've been given a wake-up call, a call to stop the futile attempts to try and make something of your life. And he's saying, get rid of that so that you can focus your attention and your energies on God. I believe Ecclesiastes does such a good job of just clearing the air. It removes any notion that we have any control over our lives. And it readies us for God's visitation that's revealed in Jesus Christ.
life. It's here and then it's gone. But we have been offered a second birthday. You've been given a second birthday. You're being told that life can be gone in a split second, that there are no guarantees, that we're all going to die, so enjoy it. But you're also being invited to step into this new life right here, right now, today, and it's a life that's marked by joy. It's a life marked by second chances. It's a life that's marked by grace, that no matter what you've done, what, what defines you, Jesus is saying, come to me and let me define you. Do you want to know how to live in this world and have joy? It doesn't come from avoiding the darkness. It comes by embracing it, by pushing through it and discovering that there's light on the other side, that there's life on the other side. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are witnesses to his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus never denied human suffering, nor did he avoid it. He entered into it. He embraced it. He went to the cross and was killed and died. But three days later, rose from the dead and stepped out into new life, a life marked by resurrection power, proving once and for all that he has conquered the grave. And you know what? He invites you to step into that life today. You're being given a second birthday. This is what it means to be born again. And this is what the act of baptism symbolizes for us. That as you go into the water, you're dying to yourself, to your old ways, to your first life. And you come up out of the water clean, washed, forgiven, and you enter this new life, eternal life with Jesus. And life will be much more beautiful. Joy is yours. Wake up to it, see it, reclaim it, and enjoy it. So just as I wrap up, I want to teach you a simple prayer exercise, and it's called a breath prayer. It's simply a sentence that you pray as you inhale and exhale. So, for example, you can use the line that I'm going to use tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift of life. So as you inhale, you just say, thank you, Jesus, for this gift of life. And what I love about this exercise is that focusing on breathing helps you to be present to the here and now. Because you can't breathe for the future. You can only breathe right here and right now. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift of life. And may you go out and enjoy it every step of the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on the surface, this book of Ecclesiastes can seem so hopeless or discouraging. But God, to see the poetic artistry come together and bring to life the reality that all of our attempts to make ourselves successful, are futile, are just mist-like. So when we can set that aside 
and simply focus on you, then we can truly experience life and enjoy life to the fullest. So God, thank you for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to bring life and life to the full. I pray that tonight, wherever we are and whatever it is we're facing, that we reach out to you and that we reclaim joy and that we enjoy the gift of life that you've given us and that we invest it well to further your kingdom. God, may our lives be lived for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.